Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I'd like you to take your copies of the scriptures with me this morning, open to the book of Exodus chapter 20. In a moment we will read the first 17 verses out of Exodus 20. God's word does two things. God's word either will harden your heart, or God's word will soften your heart. Those are really the only two options. And so I wonder as we approach God's word today, what effect it will have in your heart. As you hear it, as you receive it, will it harden or will it soften? The book of Hebrews says, today if you hear his heart, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We believe, I believe, God's word is supreme. It is over everything and everyone. We don't put ourselves over God's word. We put ourselves under God's word. Man can interpret God's word incorrectly and get it wrong, but God's word is never wrong. God has not gotten it wrong. God's word is inerrant, without error, infallible, that is never false. And so, we need to hear some truth today. That truth comes from God's word. Would you stand with me as we read from Exodus 20 together? And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me. And keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. To the one who stands among the seven lampstands, who stands among this church. The one who has eyes like fire, whose feet are as burnished bronze. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Satan hates children. Do you know that? Do you believe that to be true? Not only does Satan hate children, but the world hates children. And when I say the world, I mean that in this world and this world system that is anti-Christ and anti-Christian. Satan and our world hate children. And I'll offer three proofs to this statement. Two biblical examples, one current example. One we already know from the book of Exodus. Pharaoh commanded all of the male children that were born to the Hebrews to be killed. Specifically, he ordered them to be cast into the Nile River. What a horrendous way to kill babies. Drown them in the river. The second biblical example comes from the New Testament. When Herod the Great he has the Magi come to him looking for the Christ, they are pointed toward the town of Bethlehem and Herod instructs the Magi to report back to him where the child is so that he might worship that child. But he did not want to worship that child. He wanted to kill that child. And so the Magi are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And so they go back home by a different way. 
And after realizing that he had been tricked by the Magi, Herod orders all the male children, two years old and younger in Bethlehem and all the surrounding region to be killed. It's as if the dragon was standing before the woman ready to devour the child, as we read in Revelation 12. From our own day, consider the mass murder that has taken place at the killing mills of the abortion clinics across our land. How much are children hated? So much so that we are willing to kill them. How much does Satan and this world hate children? So much so that they will do what they can to exalt and promote and glory in the murder of children. However advanced that we think we are as a society and as a people, for all of the technological advances, we are modern people, right, after all? How evil still persists in the heart of man. The attack upon children is also an attack upon the family. Not only does Satan hate children, but he also revels in the breakdown of the family. Anything that would tear families apart, anything that would disrupt families, anything that would destroy families, anything that would tear children away from their parents. And even if you remember in the news headlines, this has been maybe decades now, but children who wanted a divorce from their parents. And so they would try to drive a wedge between parents and their children. Anything that would subtly subvert the family structure and the design that has been put in place by God himself. And the world would try to have us believe that children do not and should not belong to their oppressive parents. The world believes that they can do a better job at raising our children than we can, than our parents are supposed to. But this is not true. God has put the family in place for a reason and for a purpose. According to his design, and it's part of his plan, not only for individuals' lives, but it's part of his plan for redemption and for the world. My wife and I were reminded of this in a subtle way when we were visiting Washington State a few years ago. We were out to eat at a restaurant with our family, and I think we only had two kids at the time. I don't remember. But it seemed to be like a normal outing with our family until our waitress came to us, uh, warned us that uh, she didn't want our kids to be too loud or disturbing the other customers in the restaurant. Now, I'm all about respecting other people. And I'm usually on high alert for when my children might be annoying others. Because usually they annoy me first. 
And so I tried to be as objective as I could. But I think I can honestly say our kids weren't being loud. They weren't being disruptive. It was a normal breakfast. And in fact, after that, after that warning, it was like my spidey senses kicked in and everything else in the restaurant became 10 times louder. And specifically, we were sitting next to the kitchen and And there in the kitchen rang out sounds of dishes and plates and pots and pans clanking and rattling as they were preparing, ten times louder than any of the sound that my children were ever making. (laughs) What was the message? Well, in the grand scheme of things, was it a big deal? No, we moved on, yes. But the underlying message was, children are a nuisance. They're not welcomed. They are other people who are more important than they are. And while the restaurant may have fed our family that day, we got the feeling that they were not family friendly. Is it any surprise or any wonder then at the climate in our world when we read statistics like a statistic out of Seattle, Washington, where there are more dogs in the city of Seattle than there are children? About 150,000 dogs and about 100,000 children. And schools are closing. Children are under attack. The family is under attack. And yet this is nothing new. And there is a battlefield without There is a battlefield where people are trying to, the world is trying to tear the family down. But there is also a battlefield within the family. We've experienced the heartaches in our own families. No one has escaped them, and we do not have to pry very far into people's lives to see this come to light. Maybe we know the heartache all too well this morning. Maybe this word, this fifth word that comes to us, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Maybe it's even that much more difficult because of what you've experienced in your family. Maybe the heartache is in the past. Maybe the heartache is currently going on. Maybe the heartache has been going on for a while and you don't know if it's ever going to go away. And so we want to be sensitive to families that experience these difficulties and hardships. It's a testimony that we live in a sinful and broken world. That even happens in our families. Try as much as we might. To a certain extent, none of us are completely immune to those heartaches. What do you need? What do you need in the midst of those heartaches? You need a God who would come to you and say, 
I love you. I care about you. I love the family. Through your heartaches, through your difficulties, through your struggles, I care about you. The Bible knows these heartaches, does not try to hide them, it does not try to sugarcoat them or sweep them under the rug or make us forget about them. And so let's think for a moment about some of the heartaches that are experienced in families and particularly heartaches that are experienced between parents and their children. And it started with the very first parents in the Bible, Adam and Eve. Their son Cain murders his brother Abel. Or what about Noah and his son Ham? Ham who brought shame upon his father by looking at his father's nakedness. Or what about Isaac whose son Esau deliberately marries an Ishmaelite woman because he knew it would grieve his father and his mother. What about Lot whose two daughters got him drunk and then committed incest with him? How about Jacob, whose many sons sold the son whom he loved dearly, Joseph, to the Ishmaelites? How about Aaron, the first high priest over Israel, whose two sons, Nadab and Abihu, offered unauthorized fire before the Lord and were put to death? How about Eli, the priest that served just before Samuel? whose two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were so evil they were called sons of Belial. They were called sons of the devil because they treated the Lord's offering with contempt and slept with women who were serving in the tabernacle. Or how about Samuel, the judge who comes after Eli, whose two sons, Joel and Abijah, took bribes and perverted justice How about David, whose son Absalom acted treasonously against his father and was eventually killed? Yes, we know there have been heartaches in families, heartaches, problems, divisions, sin among parents and children for a long time. And the Lord here gives us this fifth word, this fifth commandment, to seek to instruct us about his order and his design for the family. But before we get into the truths of this word. Maybe you would ask, ask yourself, does this have any impact upon me? Maybe we should call all the kids in back from children's church. Does this word apply to me? And I'm asking this up front so that as we go through these truths, you might seek to understand how they do apply to you. If you have parents, this word applies to you. If you have parents and kids, this word applies to you. If your parents are no longer with us, do you have kids? Do you have grandkids? Do you have great-grandkids? These are the truths that you are to teach and encourage and promote in the younger generations. What if your parents have passed and you don't have any kids? Do you know any families 
Encourage these biblical truths in them. Tell them how necessary these truths are. Rejoice in these truths with them when they are exhibited in the family. And so this word comes to us very plainly this morning. Honor your father and your mother. What are we going to learn from this word? Five truths, so let's begin with number one. You can follow along in your bulletin if that's helpful this morning, but number one. Honoring parents is important to God. Honoring parents is important to God. We've come to a turning point in the ten words. Have you noticed that? A shift from the first four words to now what is known as the fifth word. Some would say this would be the start of the second table or the second tablet of the law. Why would they make a break here? between the fourth and the fifth commandment. The first four words have revolved around the Israelites' relationship to Yahweh, their covenant God. They've been told who they are to worship, how they are to worship, how their lives are to be ordered by the Lord and centered upon the Lord their God. So far, we can think that these first four words have dealt with the vertical relationship of the Israelites to their God. With these in place, the emphasis then becomes, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. The first and greatest commandment. And it's with these four words in place that God continues to build upon his words, and his law. So we cannot divorce the rest of these words from these first four words. We need those first four words because out of that one law, you shall love the Lord your God, is built the rest of the law. But now we are changed from this vertical dimension to this horizontal dimension. Vertical first with God, now horizontal with other people your relationship to others. And at least the second great commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And look, look at where the Lord begins. He begins all of these horizontal relationships. If you could think about all of the horizontal relationships that you have with other people, where does the Lord begin? What's the first horizontal relationship that the Lord says, ah, this is the most important. This is what I want to highlight. This is what I think you need to hear next. He begins with relationships within the family. The Lord prioritizes the family. And think about it. It's these horizontal relationships in the family where we begin where we begin to show what it means to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts. Would you ever think about that? The relationships within your family is where you begin to show your love for the Lord. And he goes here to the heart of what should be some of the closest relationships that we know in our world. And let's remember, up front, 
This is God's word. I mean, this particularly, we're thinking about these 10 words. This is God speaking to the Israelites in the wilderness. This isn't man's word. This isn't man's idea. This isn't what man thinks should come next in this list. This is what God thinks should come next in this list. And he says, look, look to the relationships between fathers and mothers to their sons and to their daughters. Look and see how God has ordered the family. And before we jump in and say, ah, yes, let's give it to the children because they need to hear this word. We have to see that God is also dealing with the parents. In fact, he's already dealt in a certain way with the parents, hasn't he? I mean, just look up here a little bit into these uh, 10 words again. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. There's the first very familial word that we have in the 10 words. It's all the way back in verse 5. And what does it say there? Fathers, you are in charge of how you lead the family. You will either lead them to the Lord, you will either lead them to true and right worship, and so receive the abundant, steadfast love of the Lord, or you will lead them into judgment and wrath. Either you will teach them to love me, or what did it say there? He will visit the iniquity on what the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So the parents are already getting it. The parents aren't immune. The fifth word is not just start with the children, like we so often might like to think. God is also dealing with the parents. God is the one who establishes fathers and mothers. And it's really just assumed, isn't it? When God says this, God says this, honor your father and your mother. The assumption is you have a father and a mother. Those two people are necessary for a family. I mean, it's sad that we even have to say that today. But we do. People might try to pretend of another family. But God says there are fathers and there are mothers. It's he who establishes them, and it's he who graciously gives sons and daughters to them. And it should be a great relief to us as we think about this. God has ordered the family. He's established the family. He's designed it, and that should be a sense of relief for us. We don't have to provide a definition of who the family is or what the family does. We don't have to figure it out on our own. God has already done it all. And so right on the heels of relaying how one relates to God, to himself, he goes to sons and daughters 
and he says, this is so important, this is so necessary, this is so vital to your life. If you are going to live in a covenant relationship with me, sons and daughters, you must honor your father and your mother. The family is the basis for the community, for society, and it is a family designed and ordered by God himself. God thought it so important that this is the first word he gives after teaching them to love the Lord their God with all of their heart. Is this word as important to us? If it's that important to God, would we say it's this important to us as well? Number two. Honoring parents begins in the heart. Honoring parents begins in the heart. Begins in the heart. Where do we often go with this word? We quickly run to obedience. We will get to obedience. But we certainly shouldn't start with obedience. Why? God doesn't say in this word, obey your father and your mother. Instead, what does he say? He says, honor your father and your mother. He could have said obey, but he uses a different word there. Honor your father and your mother. And it's a much broader word, and it's meant to be a much broader word. There's no one specific behavior that is commanded. The word honor is the same word the Old Testament often uses for glory or glorify. In fact, this word honor is what, what is often used of God. Honor God. Give glory to God. God is glorious. Glorify Him. It describes the weightiness and the heaviness of God, but now look how it is used. Honor your father and your mother. It's not telling us to worship our parents like God is worshiped, but it is saying Next to honoring God, you honor Him first, but you are also to honor your parents. There is a heaviness, a weightiness that parents have been given by God in their roles. Sons and daughters, do not take your parents lightly. Honor them, and honor them from the heart. Exalt them appropriately. Show them respect, prize them highly. What a rich gift the Lord has given to us in parents. Sons and daughters, do you recognize the gift that God has given you? Honoring your parents gets to the heart of how you relate to your parents. Honoring your parents is more demanding than merely obeying them. You can hate your parents, but you can still obey them. You can disdain them and have no regard for them and not respect them, but you can still do what they say. But you cannot both hate and honor your parents at the same time. How can you honor someone if you don't love them? How can you honor someone if you don't cherish them and hold them close to your heart? You can't. 
So this word begins by searching our own hearts. And let us not begin to think or compare to say, others have better parents than I do. I wish I had those parents. I wish I had different parents. Have you ever thought those words? I love what one Puritan says in response to those ideas. If we think that other people would say they have better parents, maybe we should stop and think about ourselves. Yes, but don't other parents have better children? Better sons, better daughters. First, let us ask the Lord to work in our own heart towards this end. To honor your father and your mother from the heart. With love and cherish them and and be devoted to them. Number three, the third truth. Honoring parents involves submission. Honoring parents involves submission. There's a word in our society, in our world, that they consider to be a bad word. It seems to be more and more and more that people are thinking like this. This word, this bad word, is the word authority. We live in a society and a culture that is increasingly becoming more and more anti-authority. You can't tell me what to do. I don't need anyone over me. I don't need to be instructed or corrected or disciplined. With an outward rejection of authority, everyone becomes an authority unto themselves. And a world where everyone is an authority unto themselves is a society where everyone does what is right in his or her own eyes, and it quickly devolves into moral chaos, moral corruption, and it ends up eating itself alive. Let us say, authority can be misused. Authority can be abused. And all authority that does these things does so because it does not understand that they are under a greater authority, the greatest authority of God himself and that all the authority that they have is actually a derivative authority. All authority comes from the one who is authoritative over everyone, God himself. It's an authority that has been given to them by the one who is overall. And it's the same for parents. Parents have a derivative authority. They have been given authority over the household by God himself. The sons and daughters are there to submit themselves to the parents' authority. They are to come under their father and their mother's authority. They are not to rebel against them. And let us not think it is to be the normal course of life that kids eventually rebel. God didn't say teenagers. And roll his eyes and throw up his hands. 
No, in this broad category of honoring your parents, you are going to have to submit to what they say. Not rebel against them, but come underneath them. How do you submit? Well, there's a few ways in which you submit. First, there should be a reverence that you have toward your parents. A reverence. Parents, again, are not to be worshipped, but they are to hold a high place in the lives of their sons and daughters. They are to be revered. In fact, Leviticus 19.3 says this, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. I am the Lord your God. There is a proper respect you are to show your parents. Even with the sense of young children, there is a right sense of fear. When you sin, there are consequences. You will be disciplined. You will be corrected. Our kids are to know that they are loved, but they will also know that their father and their mother will hold the line when necessary. And they will be held accountable for how they live. Parents, beware of inconsistency. Your children need consistency in their lives. They need a father and a mother who are on the same page. Who knows what's expected in the house. If they're riding a roller coaster, not knowing what to expect at any given moment from their father or their mother, it's going to provoke them to anger. And so parents, let me give you a word of instruction, help here. Seek to be consistent. You will not be perfect at it. But seek to be consistent in the way that you parent your children. Sons and daughters are also to, also to submit through obedience. This is naturally what comes to our mind when we think about this word. What the parents say is to be obeyed by their sons and daughters. In fact, Paul picks this up in Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Or how about Colossians 3.20? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It's obedience that is not delayed or put off. And did you hear all of the motivations that Paul gives? It is obedience in the Lord. It is obedience that is right. It is commanded by God, and it says this obedience even pleases the Lord. Do we know that the obedience to parents is actually something that pleases the Lord? That should motivate, and we should use that as a motivation with our children. And think about what it says in Colossians 3 again. Children, obey your parents when? When you feel like it? When it's convenient? When it's what you want to hear? When it goes your way, children, obey your parents in everything. 
How destructive is it when children do not obey their parents? And maybe we would be thinking of some of these warnings that were given in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, just flip over to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. Paul is speaking here out against the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. In verse 28 of Romans 1, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. These are the worst of the worst. Who would want to be in this list? Oh, and they are disobedient to their parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Or go back even a few more books, 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first verse. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. There it is again in the list of all of those horrible and despicable things, disobedient to parents. There's a warning, a warning for us, dear Christian of why this honoring and this obedience to parents is so important. Because in this, parents, you have a responsibility to show your kids who God is. Maybe we would be quick to ask, is it ever okay to disobey parents? If your parents are asking you to do something contrary to God's word, if they are asking you to disobey God, if they are ordering you to grieve the spirit, you are to obey God rather than your parents. But too often, we are looking for reasons not to obey rather than seeing the extent to which we are to obey. To what extent are children to obey their parents? Can I offer an example? Maybe you remember this from Genesis chapter 22. God commanded Abraham 
to take his one and only son, the son whom he loved, up on Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice. Do you remember what Isaac said to his father as they were there on the mountain? Father, we have everything that we need for the sacrifice but we don't have the lamb. We don't have the animal. Abraham says the Lord will provide. To what extent did Isaac obey his father? Isaac crawled up on the altar. Isaac had his father's hand above him, ready to strike him, ready to put him to death. Isaac obeyed his father to the point of death. Do we remember the one, the other one, who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a shameful cross? Jesus always obeyed his father in everything. He never disobeyed. He succeeded where all of us fundamentally fail. He was even obedient to the point of death. And it's his obedience. We are amazed. We praise him for his obedience. And it's his obedience that saves us from our sin and from our disobedience. To what extent do we obey our parents? To what lengths are we willing to submit ourselves? It must begin with a willingness to submit by laying down our own very lives. It begins by dying to ourselves. This is the way sons and daughters are willing to submit to their fathers and their mothers. And the difficulty is fathers and mothers, that our children will never learn how to lay down their lives and sacrifice themselves if you've never laid down your life and sacrificed yourself. Families cannot just be different from the world if all they do is attend church on Sunday morning. If that's it, if that's all that makes families different, we haven't laid down our lives. So we learn from this Children are to obey their parents. And we remember the one who obeyed his father perfectly so that we might be forgiven of our disobedience and our sin, so that we might be saved. There was a lot that hinged upon his obedience life, eternal life new life, salvation, hinged 
upon Christ's obedience to his Father. If he disobeyed, even at one point, he would not be the perfect sacrifice and we would still be dead in our sins. But there is another way we submit to our parents that speaks to everyone. Paul, when he spoke in his epistles, specifically singled out children and their obedience to their parents. But the fifth word is not merely limited to children. In fact, many think that this word is spoken as well to adults. And so there is a transition. Honoring parents goes beyond childhood and into adulthood. And while there is a transition from being a child to being an adult, from being under your parents' authority in the house to being out of the house and becoming your own family, the honoring might look different, but the honoring does not stop. Now it looks like thankfulness. How are, do you express thankfulness to your parents, particularly by caring for them in their old age? It appears this is how Jesus understood the commandment in Matthew 15. Do you remember? He derides the Pharisees because he says, you've denied the commandments of God because you've said that if a man has all of this wealth and this money and he says it is Corbin, it is given to God, he's no longer able to provide for his parents. His parents might be in need, but he cannot honor them. He cannot fulfill this fifth commandment. And how also, maybe we would think of Jesus as an exemplar in this. While there he is hanging on the cross, he sees the disciple whom he loves, and he sees his own mother. And he puts his mother under the care of that disciple. And it says, from that day, that disciple took the mother of Jesus into his home. Even there, Christ was concerned about honoring his father and his mother. And so let us not narrow this word down to just children. Let us see how it might affect everyone. And let us see how the thankfulness is to continue and is to be expressed in our lives. And let us also see that the way that we live our lives now is a reflection upon our parents, isn't it? The way that you live your life could bring shame upon your parents' name. Or it could bring great joy, great honor. By the way you live your life, express gratitude to your parents that the Lord your God has given to you. And how about this? Pray for your parents. Pray for your parents. We often hear so much about parents who are faithfully praying for their children. But do we ever think about the opposite? Children who are praying for their parents. Sons and daughters who are praying for their parents. Don't get me wrong. Parents, still pray for your kids. <laughs> Maybe you just need to pick up the phone and call them and say how thankful you are for them. Are you holding all their sin, all of their failures, all the ways they have hurt you against them? Or do you see any evidences of grace in their lives? Thank them for the grace you see. 
leads us to the fourth truth. What does submission do? Honoring parents establishes a life lived before God. Honoring parents establishes a life lived before God. We have this question, who is to teach this word? Who's going to teach this word to these young ones? Well, it's going to be the parents. The parents are teaching the children how to honor them. In fact, Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. These words, parents, teach them to your children. You are the ones who are responsible. And as you teach them to come underneath your authority, you are preparing them to come under God's authority. And you are to teach them about God's authority in your house. In fact, conversations with my kids often happen like this. Who has put daddy in charge of this household? God. So that they know this authority is not coming from me, it's coming from God. He's the one who's given it to me. I am responsible to him for how I love them and for how I parent them and for how I discipline them. You're establishing a pattern for their life, something that they will understand as they grow old. They will understand, I live before God, and there will be other authorities that will be in their lives as well. There will be governing authorities. There will be bosses in the job place. There will be all of these other places where they will need to be underneath authority. And where should they have learned that? They should have learned that from the family. The order of the household has an impact on all of life. Finally, honoring parents results in the promise of security. Honoring parents results in the promise of security. This is the end of verse 12 here now. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. What's the result of keeping this word? Your days may be long in the land. So here as these Israelites are gathered around Mount Sinai, they are looking forward to a day that God has promised. God has promised, I will bring you into the promised land, Canaan land. That will be your land. And this, this word is specifically tied to that future promise and we could think about it a few ways. We could think about it as far as longevity of life. You will live a long life if you keep this word. But I think more than just being a specific and individual promise, I think this is a promise for the people as a community, for the whole people together. And it's saying this, if you honor your father and your mother, there's this promise that I am making to you. You will dwell secure in the land that I am giving you. I will protect you. I will guard you. You will live in this land and you will be secure and you will dwell in safety. I will not remove you from the land. Do you want assurance that you will not be uprooted? Do you want assurance that you will not be exiled? Honoring your parents comes with this 
promise of security in a land that is flowing with milk and honey, possessing houses that they did not build, enjoying fruit of the land that they did not initially cultivate. What more could you want than security from the almighty, sovereign God? And think about the translation here. Security in the family, as you have these family relationships that are operating the way that God has designed, transfers over to greater security of the community, of the whole people. Security of life. But what happened? They didn't honor their fathers and their mothers. Quickly here, Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22. Turn with me there in your Bibles real quick. Ezekiel 22, verses 6 through 9. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, everyone according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. And then if you skip down to verse 15, I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries. I will consume your uncleanness out of you. You treated your fathers and your mothers with contempt. You're out of here. You're not going to live in this land anymore. You are going into exile. But what happens at the very end of the Old Testament? Now flip over to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. The very last words of the Old Testament. Malachi 4 verse 5 and following Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And what will he do? He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What's the promise? Restoration. Family restoration. Fathers having their hearts turned to their children. Children having their hearts turned to their fathers. Hard, abusive, overreaching, neglecting hearts of fathers will be warmed and changed. Despising, disrespectful, unrepentant, disobedient hearts of children will be softened and turned to their fathers in love and obedience and respect. And how is it going to happen? How are these things going to change? It's going to change through the coming of the King. It's going to come through the coming of Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes this possible, restoring broken relationships in the family. We might think, that's impossible. No one can do that, not for Jesus. And when he comes, there are two things that will happen. One very hard and very difficult. Mark 11, or Mark 13. Mark 13, verses 12 and 13. Jesus warns about this. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. There's a hard truth when Jesus comes because the gospel could potentially drive a wedge in families. It could make fathers turn against their children. It could make 
children turn against their parents and their fathers and their mothers and have them put to death. It's very possible that the gospel could drive a wedge between families. And could we think of anything more difficult and anything more hard than our parents turning against us or our children turning against us? But there's good news. Ephesians 6 again. In Ephesians, Paul is talking about the glorious gospel that's shaping the church. He's talking about the glorious salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And he gets down to the nitty-gritty in 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How are these kind of relationships, children to parents, parents to children, how are these kind of relationships possible? It's possible in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's possible with the salvation that he brings. It's possible because of the good news that Jesus Christ forgives sinners. What would seem impossible is not impossible for Jesus. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes And it can bring children to parents to obey them. It can bring fathers and mothers who don't provoke their children to anger. It can bring unity and harmony. And it can bring with it this great hope of eternal life. I think that's what Paul is saying here. Verse 3 in chapter 6 of Ephesians. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What does that mean? I think more appropriately it should be that you may live long on the earth. And I think Paul does this as... He expands this idea here, where now we're not looking necessarily for a particular plot of land like Canaan land. We're looking for this bigger promise, this bigger hope, this bigger inheritance of the earth that comes with everyone who has been given eternal life. You want security in your life? You have to have eternal life. This is the kind of life that Jesus Christ brings. New security Because it's a security that comes with the salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. This eternal life is a security that you can know now as those who are saved by Jesus. And if you haven't been saved, if you haven't put your trust in Christ, today is the day. But this is an eternal life and security in life that begins now. And it's a security that goes on into a new creation, even a new heavens and a new earth. And that's the security that we need. That's the security that I need. A security that I can't provide for myself. But a security that God gives. And a security that comes even in the relationships with families. Let's pray. Father, we bow our knees before you, the God of heaven. 
among whom the whole family of God has been named in heaven and on earth. That according to your riches of glory, we pray that you would grant to us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being. So that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. That we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with all of your fullness. And Father, we come to you as a gracious and a loving Father this morning. And there may be some among us, there may be many among us, maybe all of us, Lord, who have had problems with our own parents, have had problems with our own earthly fathers. Yet we come to you as the Father who can heal, as the Father who is completely trustworthy, as the Father who will perfectly care for his children. Father, I pray that we would be obedient to you. That we would have laid down our lives to be obedient to you. And that we would have families. Families who are willing to lay down their lives. Families who know what it means to sacrifice. Families who know what it is to say, we will follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Pray that you would help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.